right, this is Arab Talk on KPOO San Francisco, 89.5 FM. This is Arab Talk with Jess and Jamal. I'm Jess Nam. And this is Jamal Dejani. Jamal, we have a lot of breaking news today and news to talk about that is actually quite disturbing. We're going to start by talking about the uh, brutal act of domestic terrorism, which took place uh, yesterday in Southern California, in which 13 people were brutally murdered, uh, including a law enforcement personnel, as well as the shooter. We'll be talking about that impact of domestic terrorism in the United States and on Americans as part of our show today. We're also going to be talking about the midterm elections and kind of doing an analysis that's a little bit different than you heard from the White House the day after, in which the White House and President Trump described the midterm elections as a tremendous victory for Donald Trump and the Republicans. We're going to break that down, obviously, and hopefully give some clarity about what really happened in the midterm elections. As, a, as an addition to that, by the way, we'll talk about his ongoing attack on the media. That's right. And uh, lots to cover today, obviously, here on Arab Talk. So we'll start with an update on the terrible shooting where a Marine Corps veteran who is now accused of killing 12 at a California bar on Wednesday. And he had been deployed to Afghanistan in 2010 as a machine gunner. This is according to some information from the Marine Corps. Ian David Long, 28, opened fire at the Borderline Bar and Grill in Thousand Oaks, California, using a Glock 21, 44, 45, 45 caliber. caliber handgun. Right. And this is according to the Ventura County Sheriff, uh, who uh, spoke uh, a couple of hours ago, giving a briefing. And so this is the second just the second mass shooting in recent memory conducted by a former service member. Almost exactly one year ago, former airman Devin Kelly right. opened fire on a Texas church, killing 26. Like Kelly, Long had previous run-ins with law enforcement. Kelly served 12 months in confinement at Naval Consolidated Brigadier Miramar in California for domestic assault. So while we don't have all the information, the extent of his police record and his run-ins, but I watched the press conference where the uh, uh, sheriff said that, yeah, he had some minor infractions, nothing, nothing big as far as kind of like to put him on a, on a watch list, according to the Ventura County Sheriff. Although he did have a mental health evaluation the last time the police showed up, there was some he there was a there was a call by the neighbors who were concerned about you know loud noises that were coming the police came they had a mental health expert the mental health expert as far as we know jamal was unable to what we call put uh this individual on an involuntary hold which in california means what we call a 5150 which means if they're a danger to themselves or others they can be held uh, for up to 72 hours for observation and assessment. He did not meet that criteria, even though the neighbors and the police were concerned, they were not able to uh, you know, forcibly get him into an assessment or evaluation. 
What we do know about this individual, Jamal, and as you said, not only did he serve uh, in the military in uh, Afghanistan, but he was a gunner. Right. And professional. So, yeah, professional gunner. And there's a couple of things about professional gunners. One, they see a lot of carnage. So he was exposed to a lot of, most likely, although we don't know all the details yet, most likely he was exposed to a lot of traumatic events. And secondly, and this is probably didn't come up in the media yet, is that depending on the caliber of the gun that he was using, a recent study that came out just, you know, within the last six months showed that uh, gunners in the military who, you know, people who've served in uh, Afghanistan and uh, Iraq who were gunners because of the concussive effect of, of firing so many rounds of ammunition do have some evidence of uh, traumatic brain injury. Mm-hmm. So this individual that committed this act yesterday unfortunately does fit this pattern of individuals who were exposed to war, who were exposed to violence, and who may in fact have had some uh, damage to their brains. So it's a, it's a, it's a very dangerous and potentially lethal kind of combination of factors. Of course, I mean, you're, you're an expert on, on this issue and an expert on uh, PTSD and uh, other traumatic events. However, the big question remains right. is the gun. I mean, gun control. Uh, I was reading because I w- I'm not familiar with Thousand Oaks, Jess. It's a very conservative. And it's a, it's it's very a conservative community yeah. near Los Angeles, of course. And it is routinely ranked high on list, lists such as safest cities in America. Yes. Ten great cities to raise your kids. Yes. And the best 100 towns in California for retirement. So this is a very safe community. None of this stopped a man with, uh, you know, because according to your assessment, with, with known mental health issues from walking into the bar with a gun and an extended magazine, we should say also the gun. Well, l- 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 magazine. but let's talk about this. And in a few minutes, but not it, even minutes, moments. 12 people were dead. Yeah, and, and, and it's, you bring up a good point about the extended magazine. So that gun, the Glock, uh, it's a 45 caliber. The maximum legal uh, uh, clip that you can put in there is maximum is 10 rounds. He had the illegal extended clip. Uh, these uh, high-capacity clips that are magazines that are put into these guns – uh, are in California recently within the last uh, year, maybe year and a half, there's a limit. You can't have more than 10. This, this individual had the extended clip. So in, from what we heard from reports of people who were in the nightclub, the borderline nightclub, uh, Jamal, they said that uh, he was firing at a very rapid rate. And I believe even one of the individuals said that he had the time to reload at least once. I mean, how many times have we discussed this issue? I Acts lost of count. mass murder have become all but constant in the United States. Let's face it. It has not even been two weeks since a man walked into a synagogue in Pittsburgh and murdered all the worshippers. Yes. And then if you go before that, we can recount another story. And then another month from that, another story. This is something we definitely, I don't know how... You classify this, is this a 
a disease? Is this a social well, problem? Well, you know, you're bringing up... Is it, is, it, is it about the laws? At the end of the day, whether someone... I mean, of course, uh, this recent murderer, he is a professional trained to kill a machine killer. gunner yeah. that in, in, it took him only a few moments to kill 12 people. Right. And he was w- using a Glock versus others where they were using machine guns. Right. And obviously he knew what he was doing. But at the end of the day, when you look at all these instances, the big question remains. It, it still takes you to the gun control and the avail- availability and the ease in which people can obtain guns, yeah. whether it's in Pennsylvania or in California. And knowing that this individual, I mean, quickly now we know that he had mental health issues and he had run-ins with the law. Yeah, three yet, times in the last couple of years. Yeah, he had a gun. Yeah. Here's the other thing that kind of uh, supports uh, part of uh, what you're saying, Jamal, is that they uh, apparently one of the neighbors had been speaking with the gunman's mother who was lamenting the fact that she had been begging her son to get mental health treatment through the VA. Mm-hmm. Um, she, the mother, obviously knew that something was wrong with her son, encouraged him, begged him, pleaded with him to get mental health care. It, it never happened. It, this speaks to so many different issues, Jamal, because if you are a vet and you call and you try to get mental health treatment at the VA right now, despite everything that the Trump administration has done to kind of improve services and access to mental health treatment. Some people have said that there is up to a six-month waiting period to access mental health treatment Mm -hmm. for these vets. And when you're feeling suicidal, when you're feeling feeling homicidal, you don't have six months to wait. We don't know the motives uh, as of now yet. No, we don't. Why did he target this uh, group of people? Why did he go to this uh, bar? Why this town? All these questions. What was he angry about? Because at the end of the day, he turned the gun on himself and uh, killed himself. But, you know. The other tragedy, by the way, Jamal, is that a number of the people who go to that nightclub were also at uh, in Las Vegas at the time of the mass shooting last year. Were, were you know, were those, you know, almost 100 people were brutally uh, murdered in that act of uh, domestic terrorism. So. For a lot of people in that community who who love country music, it was a country music bar. They had a number of those individuals had connections to people who were killed or injured in Las Vegas at the same time. But I think you know we have to go back to your point, which is it seems like this is a weekly occurrence now in this country, and it seems to have accelerated in the last two years. Look, I cannot remember now a month that we have gone through or two months in a row where you and I don't did not talk sit about across right. from each other on this show and talk about a mass murder. Yes. And yet we have an administration, and this is something, you know, maybe just to remind people that practices the politics of fear and its focus and Donald Trump's focus on raising all this anxiety level about a caravan, a migrant caravan (laughs) coming from South America invading our border. Yet when we have all these mass murderers 
This is... It's not... He didn't come on the caravan, He did Jamal. not come on a caravan. This guy is not an immigrant. He is not an undocumented immigrant. He's not a member of a minority group, etc. And what do we have to worry about? We have to worry about now, about homegrown terrorism. That, that's exactly right, and, Jamal. And you're not going you're not gonna hear the media describe this as such. I don't know how to describe it. When you murder... When you're a mass murderer and you kill 12 people and 20 people here and 30 people there, how do you describe this? Well, I describe it as domestic terrorism. Um, you know, I think that ir irrespective of, of the motive, and we may never be able to find out about the motive, if you look at the definition of terrorism, it's intended to strike fear and anxiety in large numbers of people, right? And these, these categories, catastrophic mass mass shooting events that happen in this country not only tragically affect the individuals who were killed, the individuals and their families, but it affects all of us because many people, Jamal, in this country now feel so helpless and hopeless in the face of so much violence that's around him. And every day on TV, they have to watch a White House and a president of the United States who foments and encourages either wittingly or unwittingly, you know, open season and violence on certain groups of people. Just we have to we'll get to this later. But it was just uh, yesterday that Donald Trump accused a journalist, Jim Acosta of CNN, of being an enemy at the people. That's right. He, he accused uh uh, Yamish Elcinder, who is this African-American uh, uh, journalist, as a racist for asking the question. A racist question. That's what he said. Yeah, she was asking a racist question. Yeah. You know, you're asking a racist question. So he's yelling at an African-American journalist calling her question racist because she dared to bring up the issue of Donald Trump kind of inciting to racial divisions and, and hostilities in this country. We have to really face a very painful reality that we live in a time when the person at the head of the helm, the person that's running the country, the person who's on TV every day, says things that people hear as encouraging kind of division and, you know, to take it even further, Jamal, you know, especially with the pipe bomber, you know, that was just last week, too. Right. Was a you know, was a Trump big time Trump supporter. And we got lucky. I mean, the American people got lucky with that, that thank God no one was injured. Yeah, but he sent, you know, uh, how many pipe bombs did he send? He had stickers on his truck, Jamal, that said that had a picture of CNN with a bullseye in it. He had pictures on the outside of his truck that had pictures of people in the in the Democratic Party with bullseyes. Nancy Pelosi with a bullseye. Right. Roger uh, uh, Roger Moore with a not Roger Moore. Uh, 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 Robert De Niro. No, 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 not De Niro. Uh, the filmmaker. I'll, I'll remember his name. Everybody's Michael Moore. Michael Moore. I'm sorry. I don't know where I got Roger Moore. Yeah. Michael Moore. A picture of Michael Moore with a bullseye on his face. So, you know, people, whether or not people, you know, the White House is quick to say, Sarah Sanders is quick to say, the president doesn't condone this. He doesn't support this. He's never advocated this. Yet, when you spew hateful rhetoric on a daily basis, when you say a caravan of essentially women and children are invading this country 
What, and, what, and, and sending the military yeah. to intercept it when they are a thousand miles away. Exactly. I mean... Y- What's the military trained for, you Jamal? Have to connect, you have to connect all these dots. Absolutely. You, these things don't happen in a vacuum. Right. The attack on the synagogue, the uh, bomber who's sending uh, pipe bombs from Florida, this recent attack, I know it has something to do with mental illness, but... I still want to dig deeper into this. Absolutely. And it's not, and it's not, it's, but Jamal. Someone who has recently returned from Afghanistan. But Jamal, it's not mutually exclusive. If you have mental health struggles and you listen to this kind of uh, hateful rhetoric every day, it's going to affect you. And the ease in which people you can, can get obtain guns. guns. Yeah. Even yeah. when they are, uh, you know, when, when they are no, known by law enforcement. And when they are known to have mental illness, yet they can manage to obtain guns or, or send bombs and whatever. So uh, we'll come back and talk about this issue because I wanted to talk uh, also about the midterm elections. And uh, well, can we're I tell, talk yeah, about our yeah. assessment. But the midterm elections, Jamal, you might have missed the news uh, this uh, yesterday morning. The breaking news on the midterms is that it was a tremendous success for the Republicans, even though they lost the House, they lost a number, a number of government uh, governor uh, races. From the White House perspective, From this Donald was, Trump perspective. Yes, this was a ma- I mean, I think he even used the word massive, massive win, massive win and victory for the Republicans. Now they, it looks like they gained at least one seat in the Senate, but the overwhelming. Um, change in the House chamber looks like it's going to be 230, 232, maybe even more, maybe upwards of 240, depending on how some of these other races pan out, Democrat to Republican advantage in the, uh, in the Congress, which is kind of in the House, rather. It, it's, a, it's a pretty big deal. It is. And um, I want to put, at least from my own perspective, because, you know, you've heard a lot about the uh, Blue wave. I did not see a blue wave. I don't think it was a blue wave. You know, maybe uh, a blue ripple, but <laughs> I did not see a blue wave because yeah. a blue wave w- w- would have meant also to w- winning the Senate. And what more I governors. Saw, and more what governors. What I seats, saw yeah. is a pink wave. Hmm. You've had more than a hundred women right. win in all in, in in all these different elections across the country. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. And also you've had a diverse group of people for the first time win from you know Arab Americans, Muslim Americans, Palestinian Americans, Somali American, Somali Americans, Native Indigenous Native, American, Native Ind- Indigenous, the first African American to win in uh, Massachusetts. Right. So you so uh, and all of these, by the way, all of I mean you know the f- vast majority of them were women. So this was a big, big success. That's the that's actually the only success that I saw. The real historic success in yes. this was to see these women now, you know, making a major stand. Yes. And also all these different communities of color getting represented, having representative in the Congress. Yes. The Senate is terrible. And this brings me back, and that's why, and and you've always been on the side that always have said from before when people laughed at these statements that Donald Trump will be elected president, you were always saying he's going to get elected president. He's going to get elected president. I predicted. So now it. this is the midterm, 2020, and when you look at it, 
And when you look at, okay, you know, people, because I don't want people to get uh, into this euphoria, and they say, okay, well, we got the house, and which means we have stopped him in his tracks. We, we haven't. haven't. And then you look at the Senate, and they gain seats in the Senate. Yes, at least one, possibly and more. it gives you a very clear idea if this formula was going to repeat itself in 2020. Because at the end of the day, if you look at the Senate, even if we take the number of 51 senators now, they only received 47% of the vote. That's right. And or less. So with 47% of the vote or less. They control the Senate. They can control the Senate. In other words, they can control the country. So if you follow that model, Donald Trump doesn't have, again, doesn't have to, to win in the popular vote. He just has to play, again, his cards well with the electoral system. And he can win again. Well, I, I'm willing to say that he probably will win. If all of the dynamics are the same today, in 2020, if they're the same as they are today, I'm willing to make a prediction that he could very well win again, Jamal. I I see people keep saying, oh, he'll never win. He'll never win. He has a good chance of winning again in 2020 because this was, and you're exactly right, this was not a blue wave. It, ripple, it, blue ripple. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're going to talk about some of the amazing candidates that, that actually won in the Congress, uh, in the House. So I, before we go there, I want to actually give you accurate numbers. Okay. So, they, so the Democrats who lost the Senate, they received 44,638,000 votes. Right. To the Republicans, 32,809,000. Who won the Senate. Who won the Senate. We have a word for that. That's not that's not uh, that's not democracy, Jamal. That's a throwback to slave error uh, notions of the electoral college and the Senate. You know, the Senate and the electoral college are born out of slavery and making sure that a small number of slave owners could could continue to have, you know, control and authority in 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 the government. And as the only democracy left in the world, Jamal, that has this electoral college issue where few people like, uh, you know, the, the senators from Montana, which has, what, two million people in it, mm -hmm. have the same power as the two senators from California who represent 50 million people. So that's, that's part of an old slave owner's mentality of making sure that, you know, few people with power could be rep could be overly represented in in the seats of uh, power. I think it's uh, and by the way, that's why I think Donald Trump could very well win. Well, I mean, if you look at the figures based on if we look at this as a practice run, he he would win again. He would win again. Absolutely. It's just the, so so. What I'm saying. Democrats shouldn't be celebrating. No, they should be nervous. They should be very nervous, and and even though. We started by saying that there was, we saw silver lining in this, that a lot of people of color, women, uh, got elected, and the Democrats captured the uh, the House, but with the results looking at the Senate, which is going to play, by the way, more in the presidential elections. Right. Also, the win in key governor races. That's right. You know, uh, if especially if like f places like Florida and right. others, right. that's also going to play key. So it looks like. But wait, let's talk about the good, bad, and the ugly really quick, okay? All right. The good, when the House is taken over by the Democrats, what that means potentially, 
is that there's this small check on presidential power because now the Democrats will have will be the chair people of all of the major committees. So like Adam Schiff, Maxine Waters, Nancy Pelosi will now be the Speaker of the House so that the Democrats will not only have subpoena power over the president and the president's support team, they will be able to really negotiate in a very tough way any kind of legislation. So subpoena power and the ability to really influence the budget. That's the good news. The bad news is that the Senate will continue to push through judicial appointments that will continue in the mold of a Brett Kavanaugh of these deeply uh, conservative, anti-choice justices that will not only fill the Supreme Court, but will fill, you know, the judicial appointments at the appellate level, Mm -hmm. at at other federal courts. It's and they've got another two years to do that, Jamal. So they're going to basically uh, be able to rule the roost when it comes down to influencing the justice system in our country. Now, the ugly is what I call what Donald Trump did to Jim Acosta yesterday. And if you watch the press conference, which I know you did the whole thing. It was aggressive. It was bellicose. It was uh, antagonistic. It was threatening. He used the term again, you know, CNN and Jim Acosta are, you know, the enemy of the people. Jim Acosta has had his press privilege and CNN has had their press privilege to come and be White House reporters pulled. And he was aggressive and basically threatened the Democrats. That's that's different. This is when the question when he was questioned about, you know, asking for his tax returns right. and investigating him. He was like, "Okay, if you're going to investigate me, then we're going to investigate you. you." Right. So this is where the threat came. But that was before he just went crazy over uh, Acosta. And then later on, I mean, this is the uh, actually worse than what Donald Trump did uh, in that presser is the fact that this uh, Sarah Huckabee Sanders used a doctored up video video to say that the CNN reporter was the uh, was the aggressor. Right. Which he wasn't. That he pushed or shoved or I don't know what terminology they used. The intern, while in fact he was just holding on to his microphone. Actually, the intern came after Jim Acosta. Yeah, and they wanted to take it, and he just kind of moved. And, and then there is actually a video to say, excuse me, ma'am, you know, I need to ask this question. So he was polite. And then he asked his question, and then he handed it over. Yes, he was, because there was an exchange. Trump was avoiding to answer his question. Instead, he just went on to attacking him and attacking his network and saying that the, he should be ashamed of himself and he, they should fire him and, and et cetera, you know. And so he was hanging onto his microphone. And then they came back to say, well, you know, he shoved her or he was aggressive with her. I mean, that was the excuse right. to basically take away his credentials. Right. And but And on top of this, they used a video from InfoWars. Right. I mean, everyone knows that this website is a hate group. Yeah. It's and it has been discredited. Right. So they used their doctored up video. The White House re- reposted it. That's and right. And reposted it as right. evidence when you have 
actually, I looked at the video from three to four different angles. The original broadcast that I watched it on TV, then they had one from the back, and one another one from the left, and another one from the right. Yeah, there was a moment where she was coming, and then actually the first time she went to uh, to grab it, then he said like, kind of like, he gestured like he wanted to continue. She sat down. Right. Then she was. Then she stood up again, and you know, he kind of like turned away from her as she was reaching to grab it from him. So she's the one who was in a way aggressively was trying to take away. Yeah, he might have took more time because that's an excuse like oh we gotta hand the microphone to somebody else. But he was getting into an argument with the president who wasn't answering his question. Full stop. Absolutely. He was not answering the question. He was being belligerent. And come on, Jamal, this is supposed to be the press's opportunity to ask questions. In what universe do we live in in this country when journalists get shouted at and um, yelled at and accused of these horrible things and have microphones uh, pulled from their hands. Come on. The whole thing is unacceptable. 100%. We don't see this uh, in a White House. We've never seen this kind of um, bullying behavior because basically that's what he's bullying the press. He's bullying the Democrats. And here's the other thing, Jamal. He is also saying, and this is like this was a wake up call to Republicans. He started to berate Republicans who had distanced themselves from Donald and Trump lost. and lost. So he was like he walking, them. walking in their funeral, basically, <laughs> right. and laughing. Exactly. I mean, this is. So he's saying to Republicans, this is why, Jamal, this is why we're headed for a dark period. He basically doubled down, tripled down with the Republicans and said, if you want to win in 2020, you better be exactly like me. You better have my attitude. You better behave like me and you better support me. Otherwise, you're going to lose. And they deserve it. I tell you why they deserve it, you know, because people because the Republicans, they think that people have a short term memory. We watch the elections. We watch the ugliness, like when he went to campaign, for example, in Texas to uh, uh, Cruz, Cruz versus uh, O'Rourke. You know, have did they forget what Donald Trump said about Cruz? And his wife. And his wife. And his father. And accused his father of uh, assassinating JFK <laughs> uh, or plotting to assassinate JFK or I don't know what. And that that Melania is pretty, but his wife is ugly and, and things. I mean, it was really ugly. And all of a sudden, that was kind of brushed, you know, under the table, brushed off under the table. And, their, and then and their, their buddies' best, buddies. Their best buddies now. And so kind of, uh, you know. Cruz now like oh you know you know he's the best president in the world and da da da, da. and now they you know they see it in action that you have a president who will turn on you in a second in a heartbeat yeah in a heartbeat yeah and that's what he what he was doing but back to the topic of the media yeah let's just do a quick station ID Jamal this is Arab talk. On KPOO in San Francisco, we're at 89.5 FM. This is uh, Arab Talk with Justin Jamal. I'm sorry I cut you off there. What were we going to say about the media? Well, back to the topic, uh, you know, talking about the media, because now, I mean, it hasn't been like just hours, really. I mean, going from that press conference and then late that evening, because we're talking about yesterday. This is when Donald Trump comes out and he's the aggressor. 
doesn't want to admit that there was a defeat of some sort. Uh, attacks CNN, calls calls them the enemy of the uh, public, the American public. A few hours later, we have this shooting. Right. You know, I'm not making connection between or relationship between the two, but, you know, thousands of people, millions of people watch him. And, and he just doesn't stop, doesn't quit. And I'm really worried. You should and be. And I am really concerned. You this should is be. the next area of concern. You should be. That now, you know, I've been watching it. You've been watching it. We've been talking about it. Uh, you know, he looks, you know, he goes on stage and he points to the end of the hall and say, uh, he, here is the fake news. And people start chanting and booing and, and acting ag- aggressively. Now he basically boots out a reporter with credentials from a reputable network outside the White House, you know, calls him all kinds of names. Uh, They try to doctor up, you know, a uh, a video saying that he's the aggressor. Now, out of all these millions and some of the kooks out there, the next attack is going to be on a reporter. I'm worried about that. Because they've been shoved. They've been yelled at. Yeah, I'm worried and about my that. my big fear, you know, instead of calming, instead of dialing down, because that's what people were saying, that he was going to dial down, he's upping the ante, and he's targeting now all journalists who do not work for Fox News, like his favorite. And this is this is the other thing, you know, to talk about, which was only a, a day or two before that when he invited Sean Hannity. To a rally. To a rally. Isn't that outrageous? I mean, this is, you know, this is when you're talking about, even though, you know, Sean Hannity, I never consider him as a reporter and he is a more of a pundit, right? Yeah. But he was invited to really stoke the crowd. Stoke the crowd. That's right. For a campaign. For a Republican Party, for a sitting president, it's unheard of. Even the even. I the, mean, what do we have? Is he the minister of information in he, this country? He basically is. And actually, I was uh, surprised and pleasantly surprised to see uh, some of the journalists at Fox News basically condemn Hannity. But Hannity basically runs Fox News, man. He can do whatever well, he's he the wants. Number one show. Yeah, he can do whatever he wants. And Judge uh, Judge Piro Piro is the other one. Number two. They 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 are you know and it's like oh it's a coincidence we were there in the crowd we weren't expecting you know Donald Trump to call on us but he called on us we can't refuse the president. <laughs> this is the answer. Yeah. This was all staged. Yeah. Absolutely. They knew where to be. They were there waiting to be invited, and then Sean Hannity he actually takes the mic. And he looks at the, the, he does the same thing that Donald Trump has been doing. And he said, here is the fake news, which, by the way, that included Fox. But well, he said, except for Fox, because that's where all the cameras in the back. He was parroting exactly what Donald Trump has been saying. Yeah. I mean, this is, I haven't seen but I, Fox News stooping this slow well, till that moment. No, I mean, no, uh, but I want to go back to what you said because I think you're raising a very valid point, which is, you know, if you're a news reporter and you're reporting on, you know, domestic politics or what's happening at the White House, I think this 
would give you pause. I think this would make you very nervous. I think this would make you fear for your safety, which would unfortunately would or could influence the extent to which you're going to report. I mean, if you look at it, we have no right as Americans seeing that to point the finger towards third world countries and say they don't have free press, they have ministries of information, (laughs) they have this, they have censorship. When you have basically an arm of the White House, which is Fox News. That's right. This is government-controlled media. 100%. So when you refer to Arab countries, when you refer to countries in South America and wherever and saying that the media is government-controlled, yeah. Fox News is our government-controlled media outlet here. They're working like 24-7 on behalf of Donald Trump. You have them, you know, working on on behalf of Donald Trump for 24-7. You have their number one show host going on stage campaigning on behalf of the president. And then if you are an, if you are from another network and you criticize or you ask tough questions, then you are getting booted out of the White House. How do you define, how do you define this? I define it as government-controlled media. I mean— you know, this this is the kind of thing that you see in countries that are moving away from democracy. One way to judge a country's uh, fidelity, if you will, to democracy is the way they treat the media. And if the media is being attacked and being assaulted and you're, you're using media as a parroting mechanism, that's state, you're right, that's state-run media, and that means you've gone further and further away from democracy. The, you know, it's not random, Jamal, that uh, the Constitution pr- protects the media, protects the, the, the right to speak and to report things, you know, that are accurate. It's not random that the founding fathers uh, really believed that a free press was at the foundation of a, of a truly democratic union. We are getting further away from that, not closer. We have government-controlled media. Yeah, basically. There's I mean, no doubt about should, it. should basically understand this. Fox News is the government media. media this is the outlet that Donald Trump uses. This is the outlet that he invites them on stage. This is the outlet that are basically permitted to ask questions without being attacked. Yeah. And if you deviate from this, you're outside that circle. Right. And this, these are the standards that are now getting being practiced you know let's not kid ourselves we are no different than third world countries yeah maybe there's a little difference but when it <laughs> when it comes to the media i think we're we're approaching that uh, very very aggressively hey can we just go back to the election a little bit i, I think i want to actually give oh, an update because oh, oh, you i have don't want to i don't, don't want to okay. run out of uh, yeah the, what's the, the latest time, but basically of course there was some good news for the arab american community yeah that's what i wanted community. that's what i wanted to talk so, about because i know we have a lot of our listeners so they actually had uh, actually one of these uh, big years not only uh, on the congressional level, but on different levels. So I have a list 
the most recent list might take me about a minute to go through it. Uh, I don't, that's but, a long list. I think but, it's more than a minute, but, but go it, for it. But it's good to kind of uh, at least uh, report on those who have won uh, quickly. So we have a state house representative, uh, District 26, Athena Salman. She won. What state was that? Uh, Arizona. Arizona. And from California, Jonathan Aboud won in the Santa Barbara City College Board of Trustees. Uh, you, I mean, I'm just going to go through the winners. Uh, Ahmed Zahra from California, Fullerton uh, City Council, 5th District, won. Uh, John Minia, Florida, Orange County Sheriff, he won. Uh, Debbie uh, Macarcel Powell from Florida, and that's U.S. Congress, 26th uh, District. Wow. Uh, Donna Shalela, she was from the uh, uh, Obama administration. She's now the congresswoman on, uh, from the 27th district in Florida. She also won. Mark Hashem, he from uh, Hawaii, State House of Representative, 18th district. He won the elections. Sam Bitar from Illinois Cook County Circuit Court. Nice. Uh, 13th uh, district won the elections. Uh, Darren Lahoud from Illinois U.S. Congress, 18th district. He won the election. Nice. Uh, Ralph Abraham from Louisiana U.S. Uh, Congress, 5th district. He won the elections. Uh, Garrett Graves, uh, Louisiana U.S. Congress, 6th district, won the election. Uh, Justin Amash uh, from uh, that's Michigan. Michigan, yeah. Michigan, U.S. Congress third won the election. Also from Michigan, um, Sam Baidun, uh, Wayne County Commissioner, 13th District. Michigan has a bunch of people. Annette uh, Berry, uh, Wayne County Circuit Court. Uh, Diana D'Agostini, Michigan District Court. And then uh, Salwa Fawaz, also Michigan Crestwood School Board, she won. Uh, uh, Al Haidus, uh, Wayne County Commissioner, won the election. Uh, then what? you, of course, have uh, Adel Harb, he Wayne County Circuit. Guy, you guys are active in Michigan, <laughs> uh, but uh, a lot of people have actually claimed seats in the in uh, the district court and well, this uh, is, is it, it, the state house representative. So this has got to be the biggest victory for Arab Americans. And, of course, the biggest win for them there was Rashida Tlaib, who is now the first Palestinian-American uh, representative. And also, is she the first female, first Palestinian-American female and woman? And she won one in the 13th. District. Yeah, it's kind of a big deal. So, so just going quickly down the list, uh, I will tell you the other big one. Ilan, of course, uh, Omar, she is from Minnesota, and she's Somali-American, uh, and she's herself a refugee, came to this country. She's now in the U.S. Congress 5th District. Nice. And Chris Sununu, New Hampshire governor, He's the son of John Sununu. Right. Uh, and he, he won there. Well, there was, unfortunately, uh, an indicted congressman, Duncan Hunter, still defeated 
Palestinian American. Amar uh, yeah. Campo, yeah. Yeah, Amar uh, Campo Najar, yeah. Yeah, he lost, that's in what, uh, but, San Diego. Yeah, but what does that tell you that your congressman is indicted? 70 seven, counts of indictment. Seven zero. He used campaign finance funds to fund having affairs as a married man. All of these moral— And his wife also was and, indicted. And the, he threw his wife under the bus, by the way, basically blamed her for all the financial mismanagement while he was having all these affairs. And yet the people of San Diego chose to reelect an indicted congressman 70 times over an individual who, you know, has no indictments against him at this time but and no pending— lin- Arab lineage. He had—well, not only did he have— And Latino— Arab Latino lineage and advertisements saying that uh, Campo Najar was going to infiltrate <laughs> infiltrate the U.S. Uh, House of Representatives. So this is part of the um, wave, Jamal, that we're going to see in the next two years. You're going to see more racial divisions, more ethnic divisions more divisions that are going to highlight the differences that we have in this country rather than the things that bring us closer together. I I agree with you so much that if there are any Democrats or progressives out there who are like, you know, relieved and think that uh, they can rest on their laurels now are really still in, in, a, in a sleep Jamal and are really still delusional about where we are in this country and, and the politics of this country. And um, I really believe that if people don't wake up from that slumber, we're in for another, just not another two years of Donald Trump, but another four years after that. He could be with us another— Six years. Yeah. And I'll be the first to say that, as I said earlier in the show— if the context is the same two years from now as it is today, he has an easy chance of uh, being reelected. So what's the solution? I mean, okay, this was a trial run. Uh, okay, the Democrats claimed the House, which is good. For some things. For, uh, you know, but uh, we still are, you have a Senate that is controlled uh, by the Republicans, and they've lost some— major cities as far as the governorship. So what's the plan? Well, the plan, the plan is, is that as if you're a progressive, you have to realize that you take one day off after the election, and then every day between now and the 2020 elections, you get out there and you register people to vote. That's number one. You start campaigning today for congressional and Senate seats, you know, two years from now. And as a progressive, you have to get elected to school board. You have to get elected to the water board. You have to get elected to state representation, you know, either, you know, as a state senator or as a state representative. I mean, people get so focused on like, you know, this is the most important election of one's lifetime. But in fact, that hand was overplayed. This is not a sprint, Jamal. It's a marathon. And so you, I mean, you know, you have to be out there every single day advocating for what you believe in because it's not going to be, if you think the Republicans are going to be resting a single second between now and 2020, you're delusional. 
They're going to try to take back more of the Senate. They're going to try to win again in the presidency. And mark my word, they're going to go on the hunt for uh, weak or weak seats in, in the House of Representatives. You know, whatever you think of Donald Trump, he gets a certain segment of this country fired up. And as you said, this was a trial run. And if it's a trial run, if this was 2020 and the election was two days ago, he would have easily won. I don't want to say easily. There's a good chance he would have won again. Well, what uh, also we have to start thinking about this whole system again, uh, you know, about this whole two party system. We keep going. It's a disaster. It's, it's like stuck in this uh, circle between Democrats and Republicans. Yeah, it's not working. And it's not working. You know. Are we going to live to see a, a strong third party? But what about a fourth party? What and about a, fourth a, party, fifth party? a fifth party? Because in other democracies, Jamal, guess what? All over the world, again, except here, they have more than two parties. And let's not forget, we did this analysis. In part, we have Donald Trump today because of the failure of the Democratic Party in 2016 to adequately represent progressive elements of the party. So what happens to progressive folks and people with progressive politics, because we are a two-party system, it forces them to go into the Democratic Party. And the leadership in the Democratic Party does not represent really the bulk of the people in the Democratic Party because the bulk of the people are younger and more progressive. And uh, I think you have a quote from Chuck Schumer, who is the— minority leader in the Senate. Some I can paraphrase, but basically he was told about the new wave, uh, the new wave, the the socialists and the, you know, meaning uh, more progressives, more progressives that especially most of them are women and women of color, uh, like Ocasio and uh, Tlaib and, and, and others that uh, these uh, newcomers uh, are going not going to vote for resolutions. Uh, a blank check for, the, for Israel. Israel. And he said, oh, well, we have to educate them about Israel. <laughs> I will love to see Chuck Schumer lecturing these brilliant women of color on what they should uh, believe in and what their poli should, politics should be. If the Democratic Party wanted to do one thing to self-destruct and alienate its base more than anything else, it would be Chuck Schumer lecturing these amazing women of color who rose from the harshest circumstances to win congressional elections in their respective uh, states. You know, they have been they were self-destructive in 2016. That's why we got Donald Trump. And here we go again, Jamal. They're going to self-destruct again because what we're seeing is that people are more progressive. They don't represent the traditional value of the elite Democratic Party. And uh, But thank you for joining us today, right, Jamal? Yeah. Follow us on Facebook Live at Jamal Dejani 2. Follow us at SoundCloud. iTunes. Twitter. ITunes, but go, most importantly, go to our, our website. Website, ArabTalkRadio.com. ArabTalkRadio.com. And you could subscribe to all these different platforms that you like for free and to listen to our show. And we will talk to you next week. This is Arab Talk on KPOO San Francisco. 89.5 FM.